to uh, Matthew 18, and we are changing directions today, um, and we will not hold you long. Pray for all of those of us who are still battling with upper respiratory infections uh, that don't seem to want to go away. I keep telling my wife to stay away from me. She's, I'm so adorable. She starts it and I finish it. It, it lingers with me. Amen. Amen. In Matthew 18, verse 22, Jesus speaking. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70, up to 70 times seven. Let me read that again. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Father, we bless you and we thank you for all that you are doing. We are humbled that you would stop by. Father, we can't do anything apart from you. For you, we are the branches, you are the vine. And apart from the vine, the branches cannot grow. We cannot prosper. Father, we have no life without Jesus. And so, oh God, we ask that the Spirit of God would have his way in the midst of the people of God, even right now. Father, touch us where we need to be touched. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. I don't know if you are a fan or foe of uh, the comedian Kevin Hart. That's neutral. That doesn't say yes or no, but that's fine. He was recently selected to host this year's Oscars, and someone decided to vet his um, past performances uh, like many jobs today, uh, one of the parts of their vetting or evaluating candidates is to check out your website and to see what your political persuasions and your conversations are like. But 10 years ago, Kevin Hart, in a, com a comedic performance, made some comments about a particular segment within our community uh, that is taboo today. Ten years ago, it was considered standard humor. And so when he was confronted with the comments that he made about the homosexual uh, community, uh, he immediately uh, issued a written apology and then later um, responded to uh, at least one major interview where he expressed that what he thought 10 years ago, he, does, he no longer uh, thinks that way, feels that way, and would not uh, include his comments uh, in any current performances. Uh, in spite of his apology, the response by the Academy Award representatives was that they didn't feel that he got it, 
that his remorse was sufficient to the offense that occurred 10 years ago. And uh, then others uh, went on to write their views about how they felt Kevin Hart had not sufficiently uh, paid for his uh, crime of uh, commenting about homosexuals in a way that people would laugh. And so at some point, <clears throat> he decided that he would, even if, was, if he was offered uh, to perform at the Academy Awards, he would not accept it. And he was, uh, had enough backbone to say, I'm not apologizing anymore. And I share that <clears throat> because the, the, the very people that who have made uh, Kevin Hart a multimillionaire are the same people that tomorrow could very easily be saying to you, like him, crucify him. And that's what caused me to raise the question in my mind, how different are we in the church? Uh, how much does someone have to pay in order for you to believe that they have sufficiently repented, that they have, they don't use the word repent. They said he didn't get it. So maybe if he had allowed them to uh, give him 50 strokes of, with the whip or uh, hang you know, upside down for a couple hours with, by his ankles, he would have been uh, deemed genuinely uh, remorseful. But are we like that in the church when someone has offended us, when someone has clearly intentionally done something to cause us harm. There are people who, in, that did not accidentally upset your day. They purposely intended to wreck your day. So how do we respond? What does the Bible say the Christian response should be? And so today, when Jesus said, don't, in response to Peter's question, how often should you forgive someone? How much does someone have to do before you release them? And what Christ gives as an example in this text is, is often not the experience in many Christians' lives. I actually read an account where um, Psychology Today evaluated many patients that are in mental health institutions, and they said 80% of the patients that are in mental institutions today could leave tomorrow medication-free if they forgave the person who has offended them. I want you to understand that when it comes to this topic of forgiveness, I believe that probably the single greatest sin in the church is not adultery, it's not even lying. Uh, it, 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 it's not maybe close to unbelief, but let's say, the, to me, the most repetitive, unrepentant sin in the church is the sin of unforgiveness. And one of the things that happens when you haven't forgiven, and we're going to talk more about this as we look in the text, is that things that you thought that you forgave, 
All the devil needs to do is have that name mentioned or the scent of that perfume or that cologne. And you will find yourself in the throes of an emotional crisis where one minute you're saying, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice. <laughs> so I'm about to lose my mind up in here. I want to get a, I want, I want to hurt something. And so if we are going to be Christian, be Christ followers in this area of forgiveness, we need to go back to the beginning. This is foundational. This is Christian Christianity 101. You need to be someone as you are walking with the Lord who can turn the page. Bible says that vengeance is mine, I will repay. I want you to understand that God can do a far better job with your enemies than we could ever. In our worst case scenario, you, you, done, you done played this thing out, what you would do if you could get away with it. But vengeance is mine, God said. First thing that I want you to consider with me from the word of God, it, it's really interesting when you go to this passage in Matthew 18 where the Lord said, if you loose and bind, on earth, it shall be loosed and bind in heaven, and it also says that if you touch and agree. But the context that allows us to have this divine supernatural authority of binding and loosing is in the area of forgiveness. You can't loose or bind nothing if you're unforgiving. And the scripture says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst in other words, if our focus is on Christ and we touch and agree, we can loosen bind, but you can't touch and agree. You can be gathered in the same place, and it could be 10,000 of you, but if you have an unforgiving heart. And so one of the reasons why the church is impotent, we have no power, we got, we got buildings on every corner, but we have no influence, no impact, is because this sin of unforgiveness has made its way into the church from the pulpit to the last pew. So we want to come to a place in our understanding of the word of God is we need to know what forgiveness is. I think that's where we get confused and that puts the brakes on us releasing or are actually operating in the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes to forgiving those who have done us wrong. Have you ever done anybody wrong? Oh, that's kind of weak. Have you ever done anybody wrong? Well, the Bible says, for those of you who were whispering, Jesus said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if you say that you've never sinned, you're a liar. I ain't, I'm not calling you a liar, but the Bible says, if you say that you've never sinned, then you're not, you just, you just, you just sin. We all need forgiveness. Amen. We all need mercy. And mercy is when we don't get what we don't, what we deserve, what we deserve. And I don't know too many people that are turning down divine forgiveness. We accept it in abundance and we expect it from God. After all, we, God is a God of grace and God of love. God is patient and kind. 
when it comes to our sin. But how unlike God are we when we withhold the very thing we are willing and ready to receive so freely? We need to know the meaning of forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the word says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. I want you to understand that forgiveness didn't come cheap. God forgives us through the finished work of Jesus, and the work that he did required that he had to shed his very blood. I want you to understand that it's a personal thing, that the blood that Jesus shed for you was with you in mind. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that with the blood of Christ, as it was offered to God as a payment for our sin, because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. That he, In that same passage, the apostle Paul says, you have been brought with a price. <laughs> and the cost of the property that now belongs to God is the blood of Jesus. And so you are no longer yours, your own. You are the property of God. That's why Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Are you dead <laughs> or are you alive? He says, nevertheless, I live, but the life that I now live, I live by faith in the one who gave his life for me. I understand that he who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. But if he had not come to forgive us of our sin, we would still be like sheep without a shepherd on our way to a Christless eternity called hell. We need to know the meaning of forgiveness, forgiving one another even <clears throat> as God in Christ forgave you. Let me share some things about forgiveness that, that are not true. The first thing that's not true about forgiveness, it is not an option. In Matthew's chapter 6, verse 15, the Bible says, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. So if you choose not to, you're choosing to allow your sin to forfeit your forgiveness. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from sin. When I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, I have koinonia with him. I have fellowship. But when I hold on to my anger, when I hold on to unforgiveness, my fellowship, not my relationship, because nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. My relationship is permanent. When your child acts a fool, he doesn't cease from being your child, that your DNA is in him. God's DNA is in you. But the fellowship, don't call me, boy, until you get your act together. And so some of us forfeit the forgiveness of God in our own lives, and we walk in bondage, we'll never be fully free. You'll never fully be able to praise the Lord. You'll never know 
the joy, the Bible says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You'll never fully be able to do the will of God on earth as it's being done in heaven if you have an unforgiving heart. Forgiveness is not forgetting. In Genesis chapter 45, verses 7 through 8, Jacob, uh, uh, um, um, Joseph was remembering how his brothers sold him into slavery and they beat him and they stripped him naked and they left him. First, they wanted to kill him and then they said, why should we kill him when we can make some money off of him? With brothers like this, who needs enemies? They didn't know what happened to him. They could care less. And the Lord said, in, in Genesis it says, that, <clears throat> but the Lord was with Jacob, or with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And so Joseph interpreted the, the Pharaoh's dream. You know the story. We're not going to get into detail about it. And then Pharaoh gave Joseph a wife, and his first child's name was Ephraim. And the name Ephraim means the Lord has caused me to forget. And so while forgiveness is not forgetting, what it is, it's choosing not to remember. It's choosing not to replay the offense. I told you about the sister called me and she was talking about what her husband had done and she asked me if I wanted to listen to her. I said, no, I don't want to listen to her. Why do you? Why do you want to keep replaying something that, that hurts you? Why are you holding on to memories that wounded you if you forgave? The Bible says, God has caused me to forget. You can think about something that somebody did to you, and this was really deep. I was asked to do a funeral for a, 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 a woman, and I went in to visit her before she died. Beautiful woman. She was, I knew she was beautiful because she, she actually was a model when she was younger. And uh, when I went to pray for her, she couldn't speak a word of English. Fluent Spanish would have been nice to have. Uh, our sister Karen with me uh, to interpret. But what happens when a person is dying, often their mind will switch back to their native tongue. And so while I'm in the room praying for her, children come into the room. And one of the, I, and I, I'm talking and I'm listening, and she said, uh, the, the one of the girls said, this is my mother who left me to marry, another, to, to, she left Spain, left the country, a city in Spain to marry a man who was in the military in, in Delaware. And we haven't seen her until we found out she was dying. We didn't know where she lived. So while all this is going on, we start praying, and the girl literally falls out. She falls flat on me, and we're on the ground, and she's crying and passed out and can't breathe. And then a black woman walks in. So I said, whoa, this is getting to be, <laughs> as the world turns. And the black woman who came in was the wife of the husband who married the woman that was dying. And the reason she found out about it is because he moved her a mile away from where he and his wife lived. And she got a, a notice from, uh, from uh, gardeners who were getting ready to tear up the ground 
Mrs. So-and-so, we're getting ready to do the work. What do you mean? You're not doing any work in my house. And he said, well, aren't you? And then she went, found out that this woman. And so what blew me away was that this woman whose husband left, who, who was with her, and she found out that he was basically married to two women at the same time, when she discovered that her husband's second wife had left her children, she took those children in and adopted them, wow. raised them. Jesus. I'm like, okay, okay. You know what? That was a weird funeral to preach. I didn't know what to say. The woman in the casket was a second wife of a man who was already married. The kids were raised by the wife that was cheated. I'm like, oh, God. Forgiveness is not forgetting. The lady told me the whole story. I could tell you a whole bunch of crazy stories of you dealing with people that are dying. But the forgiveness is an evidence of the presence of the power of the Spirit of God in your life. You will do what makes no sense to the natural man. You'll raise somebody else's children and love them like they're your own. Forgiveness is not the removal of pain instantly. Paul and, si Paul and Barnabas had a, a, a very contentious disagreement about Mark. It was so, it was so, uh, 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 so contentious that Paul and Barnabas separated for years. But they never... They didn't withhold forgiveness. They just couldn't fellowship because they, just, they disagreed about Mark. I remember when my parents, we were growing up, everybody lived. You could, my mother and, uh, were getting a fight with her sister. <clears throat> they all lived within a stone's throw of each other. But we could, the, the parents never allowed us to be a part of that. So my mom and I could get in an argument. I could leave my house and go right down to my aunt's house. And my mom didn't feel like eating good cooking because she was mad at my aunt, but I knew my aunt, no matter how mad she was, she was cooking. <laughs> I ain't missed no meals. I can't think of a single time I ever missed a meal. And there were some, there were some, there were some tight days. I had too many aunts to miss meals. I ain't never that angry that I ain't going to eat. You just have to be mad at me. Pass the Cocoa Puffs. We eating today. <laughs> Forgiveness is not the elimination of consequences. This is what messes us up. David slept with another man's wife. And then to cover his sin, he had Uriah killed. And Nathan the prophet, sometimes you just have to tell people the truth, even when it hurts, because by the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so he told David, thou art the man. You are the one who I'm speaking of in this, this parable, this illustration. And David, unlike King Saul, David said, I own it. I'm guilty. And here's what, here's what sin, sin will do. You can choose your sin. You cannot choose the consequences. One of the ways you know when somebody is repentant is that they're willing to suffer the consequence. They're not trying to 
demand or dictate to you what the consequences will be. And so Nathan said, God is not going to kill you, nor will he take the kingdom from you, but the sword shall never leave your house. Absalom raped his sister, Tamar. Not Absalom, but Amnon, uh, David's oldest son, raped his sister, Tamar. Absalom slept with David's ten concubines. And we all know the story of Solomon. The brother lost his mind. You know, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. No wonder he was crazy <laughs> when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. But what, what I, my point is this, that the consequences of David's sin, God says, you are forgiven. I am going to restore you. But the sword, the scar, the people you hurt, the things that you lost, you're not recovering that again. And so sometimes we think if we forgive somebody, we're letting, no, no, they didn't get away. Just don't give them the credit card again. You don't give them a chance to do the same thing again. You forgive them, but you, you write them while they're in prison, and you, you, you pray for their, they, they grow in the Lord as they, that they receive that, you know, that prison food. Forgiveness is not the elimination of consequences. Forgiveness is not the admission of guilt. You're not, some people, well, you ask, if you say you're sorry first, then I'll say I'm sorry. I mean, there's a pastor, a very large church in Pittsburgh, and he said his son, they, they were raised in the suburbs. They had, I mean, he was a, uh, made millions of dollars during his ministry, a singer, et cetera, nationally known, prolific writer, and one of his sons was a crackhead. And so he said every time he, his, his son would come to him, family functions, he would be most angry at his father. And so his father would say, uh, for years, uh, son, um, I don't know what your issues are. And he would share the Bible with him. And then one day he said, I got my son. And we and he and I sat together. He says, whatever I have done to you, I don't even remember how I've hurt you. But I accept responsibilities for whatever I've done to you. Please forgive me. And he said his son embraced him and never took another drug. He said, here's what I learned. That children are the best historians, but the worst interpreters of, his, of history. They remember stuff in ways that you never intended it to be understood. I'm still trying to remember the day I slapped my son. I, you, you slapped me in the face and not me down. I, I might have lifted you up off the ground, but I didn't. But children remember things in ways that is not, they're, they're, they have what's selective memory. But sometimes you have to just go to somebody for their sake and say, whatever you believe I've done, I'm willing to own it. I didn't intend to do it, but I'm sorry. And then don't start saying, but you, but you. No, no, no. When you start 
calling another person repentance when you have been sent by the Holy Spirit to make it right, then that's not true repentance and reconciliation will never occur. <coughs> Forgiveness does not mean that that person wins. They don't win. Because you said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I was wrong. It's me. I want you to understand that great is your reward in heaven because the Lord will bless you when you are obedient. Each one of us shall stand before Almighty God not to give an account for the person that refused to say that they were sorry, but he, you're going to give an account for yourself. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them who despitefully use you. Bless them who curse you. If you can't do that as a Christian, what makes you any different from people that don't know Jesus? Oh, go on, sing your song. I love your shout. Oh, God, you can shout. Beautiful hat, sister. And don't you know you can put a lesson together. But when are you going to let it go? When are you going to turn the page? When will you forgive Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. There's sometimes uh, <coughs> Esau and Jacob. Jacob was a swindler. He was a supplanter. He was a con man. And he only went back to deal with Esau because the Lord said, go back. Sometimes you got to go. You got to deal with your Esau's, the people that you hurt. They, they didn't do, do dirt to you. You did dirt to them. You need to go back and fix it because they need the release. They need the deliverance. And so God sent Jacob back, but they never, they never inhabited the same territory again. They had to live at a distance. Sometimes you can be, something can be worked out, but you can't, it will not be fully restored to the same position that it formerly had been. So forgiveness isn't all that we think it is, but here's what forgiveness is. It comes from the Greek word of aphiomi, aphiomi, which means to send away, to release from, to counsel out of debt. How about if you go to the bank and you owe uh, however many thousands of dollars on your house and, and Wells Fargo says today, you know what, somebody came in and paid the balance of your house up. Now, before you, they pick you off the floor from having a heart murmur or some type of heart uh, uh, situation, guess what, if somebody canceled out that debt, you would accept it in a mo at a moment's notice. That's what forgiveness does. It you owe me, but I'm canceling the debt. I'm blotting it out. I'm refusing to get even with you for hurting me. I'm not going to wait until you say you're sorry before I will forgive. I'm not going to wait until I feel better about it. I'm not going to wait until you... Uh, next, in, the, in 10 years, prove that you really meant that you were sorry the night you didn't take the trash out when you said you would. <laughs> Forgiveness is letting go of your resentment, releasing the right to demand from a person what only God can extract. You really are in a position of authority when someone has offended you. You have the power to release them or to hold them to what they owe. 
But forgiveness is like taking cyanide and sitting on a park bench and saying, when are they going to die? <laughs> you got the cyanide. They ain't dying. You took the cyanide. The cyanide is your, your unforgiving heart. I want you to know that God can't trust someone who won't forgive. There are things that God will never reveal to you. There are things that you will never be able to speak into your own children's lives. You see the shipwreck. You see the train coming off the track. And you want to say your marriage is, if you don't make a change in how things are going, and they're going to say, well, you never forgave mom or you never forgave dad. Why are you trying to get me to do what you never did? The devil is a liar. Amen. We don't need another book. We don't need another sermon. We don't need another workshop. We need to be obedient. We need to forgive. You don't need to wait until you feel like it. I never want to take no, get a needle in my arm. Never. Not, not to this very day. But guess what? In order to get an iron shot, in order to have blood drawn, brothers, brothers, it ain't, it ain't a sin to go to the doctor. It don't make you weak. Brothers, amen? amen? Take your medication. I don't really want to take no medication, but guess what you do? Amen, amen. It ain't, it ain't enough to come to church looking pretty when your heart is rotten. You need to know at least two truths about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The first thing is that Jesus says in, in verse 15, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he hears you, you will gain your what? You will gain your brother. The first thing that we need to understand about forgiveness is this. We need to, the third truth we need to understand about forgiveness is that the rules for forgiveness are not going to be found in the, in the world, but will be found in the word. The rules for forgiveness are in the word. I often say the first one, the first major uh, issues for counseling when, you, when people are considering marriage is what is the nature of your relationship with your parents? I'll ask the woman, how do you get along with your father? What about the men in your family? I can't stand them. And then in that very same breath, they're looking at, the man that they're preparing to marry. But I love him. <laughs> no, you don't. It's impossible. Because the first time he reminds you of your father, you're going to transfer that anger and that hatred to that man. And now you, brought, you have brought division into your house. So if you can't, if you don't love your and not because they were perfect. The Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord, in the Lord, not because your parents are always right. I don't know a perfect parent other than God, but he had messed up kids. Adam and Eve were God's kids. And they, they disobeyed God, the most perfect parent. God gave Adam and Eve everything that they could ever need or want. And yet they put their fists in the face of God and disobeyed him. But the good news is this, that God had fig leaves made for them to cover them, to show them that the shedding of blood was covering their sin as a foreshadowing of what would happen for us. 
when Christ was hanging from the cross. He's our covering. While their sins were covered, ours are abolished. They blotted out. <laughs> Removed. He says, I cast your sins in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. Even if you went back to the sea with the cast, you would find a sign that says, no fishing here. The rules are found in the word of God. The rules for forgiveness are for every Christian. Every Christian. I don't hear you speaking in tongues. Don't quote me a noble Bible verse. When you have bitterness and unforgiveness and vindictiveness in your heart. That's Christ on display. As he hung from the cross, the very people who said crucify him and the soldiers who nailed him there and then they hoisted up that cross with all the weight of his body hanging on the sands and on his feet. He said, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. He was talking about you and he was talking about me. Forgiveness is for every Christian. My question is, are you saved? Do you really know Jesus? I'm serious because one of the basic evidences of salvation is that you are a forgiving person because you have been forgiven. Jesus said of the woman who was washing his feet with her hair and poured the, the, the oil from the alabaster box, the, the, the Pharisee said, what kind of savior is this? And he obviously is a false prophet because if he knew what kind of woman she was, didn't even call her by her name. They called her sinner. And then Jesus says that he who has been forgiven much <laughs> will love much. Our problem is we don't think we sin, our sin's that bad. We don't think it smells. It stinks in the nostrils of God. Your sin's no better than mine, no worse. But it's, it, it's abhorrent in the, in the nostrils of God. I want you to understand when you, forgiveness requires humility. When you understand a little bit about the grace of God, Jeremiah said, it is because of your mercies I'm not consumed. If it wasn't for the mercies of God, none of us would be here. I don't get this thing twisted. I'm not so good that I can stand before you and preach the word. No, it's his mercy. It's his mercy. And they knew it. I need him every single day, every second of the day. I don't know about you. Somebody ought to thank him for his mercy. I wonder today if you are in a recipient of the mercies of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. Oh, God, I thank you that when I was living in my sin, you, you were patient and your mercies endured forever. Thank you, God, for mercy. Thank you, God, for mercy. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. The rules are for every Christian. Let me hurry. And one of the rules is, <clears throat> when it comes to forgiving, is that we need to be proactive. The Bible says, if someone offends you, go to them. Well, they knew they didn't speak this morning. 
They, they, they sent me that nasty email. They raised their voice at me. I saw them cut that. And I say to my lovely wife, I said, baby, women have bionic hear, ears. And bionic, they, women don't miss nothing. And my thing is, get it done. I don't expect somebody to be smiling when they're doing cleaning out the toilet. Just clean it. But you, when he, when he did it, he sucked his teeth. Okay, suck him, brother. Just clean the toilet. <laughs> Women don't miss a thing. They hear every intonation of the voice. They hear the way the footsteps are walking. He's not walking as if he's enjoying this. He's walking like he's going to, uh, you know, his death sentence. And so, go to your death sentence washing the toilet. Just keep on, get that Kleenex, get that uh, Clorox, uh, get the comet, whatever you got to do. I don't care if you cry. I don't care if you tear your face up. Just get, get her done. Get her done. Be proactive. Acknowledge the offense. Somebody comes to you, did I send you today? Oh no, God is good all the time. Wait a minute. I know that what just transpired offended you because I heard you cuss under your voice, under your breath. Now some of us say, I don't cuss. Oh, I cuss at me, but forgive me. I, you know what? I'd rather you forgive me than to slip and say something you shouldn't say. Because you may not ever say it, but you're thinking it. Because if you're an unforgiving person, guess what? Those words accompany that spirit. Oh, it is. I know it's true. Thank you. Amen. Acknowledge the offense. Whatever it was, I felt rejected. I, I don't know if you love me. I don't know um, if I can ever do enough to, to, pl to please you. Whatever it is, acknowledge the offense. The Bible says don't let the sun go down upon your wrath because when you do allow yourself to go to bed angry, the Bible says be angry but sin not because when you don't deal with unforgiveness, when you're angry, that sets you up for an unforgiving heart, and then the devil can set up shop in your life. Am I right about it? So acknowledge the offense if a brother has sinned against you, and then you need to address the offender. Not call your girlfriends, not call your boys. Pick up the phone and talk to the sister. I'm so sick and tired of people telling me about what somebody did to them. I am, literally. When are you going to tell that person? Because I cannot speak for them. Even when I'm talking about somebody, and I'm going to get a call, and, and he this, and she that, I said, your wife is not in the room. She cannot speak for herself. And so let's talk about how you are responding. And then if we're going to do counseling, it ain't going to be for you about your marriage. I need you and her in the room. You need to acknowledge the offense. You need to... Uh, you need to talk to the person face-to-face. -face. 
address the offender. You need to aim for peace. He said, if your brother or sister hears you, you, you have won a brother. You've, you've got a great friend. Some of the best friends I ever had, I had fist fights with. I won, but still. <laughs> My best friend, we used to fight over who was the shortest and who could get in the front of the line. And uh, one day, we, we both kind of hit the front of the line together, and we kind of bumped each other. And everybody said, whoa, whoa, And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and it was like something was about to happen. And I said, OK. And he went, bop, bop. He punched me in both of my eyes. <laughs> Black, both of my eyes. Both of my eyes with my hands down. We weren't friends anymore. But sometimes, <laughs> Larry, I don't know, well, I want to see Larry one of these days. I might, I might say, I don't know if he's going to heaven after he blacked both my eyes. But, <laughs> but <coughs> sometimes, the best friendships are cultivated out of the stress of working through differences. Your marriage, sometimes what happens, the worst thing that you can do in your marriage is stop talking. Communication, the major cause of divorce is not the thing, it's the, break, it's the lack of communication. And so when you can talk stuff out with a person, you'll find healing. Let's run on. I'm, I said it was going to be short, didn't I? <laughs> okay, so address the offender, aim for peace, and if it doesn't work out, the Bible says, go get the leadership. Go, go present them to the church, and the church in here remains the, the, the elders, the pastor, the deacons, whatever body in the church represents dealing with conflict. You go to them. If they hear the elder and the deacons or whoever the leadership, uh, then, then the Bible says, then you've done your part again. And finally, <clears throat> if they still don't repent, you need to accept the outcome. You did your part. That's all you can, God asks you to do. You go. You try to make it right. You get help if you need it, and hopefully the person will receive the, the, the intervention. If they don't, God says, you kick the dirt off your feet and go to the next town. You cannot allow somebody to continue to go into the dungeon of their mind to pull out your past sin as if somehow you are now incarcerated with a life sentence when you've already been pardoned by the blood of Jesus. And every time they feel like going down to the dungeon to bring you up out of it, to pound you again, yeah, you remember, I'll never forget, you should have never done it. I know you tried, you thought you got away with it, et cetera, et cetera. And look what I got to face every time this year. Every time this year, you know, there's certain times of the year you, you think about the same thing. Okay, the Lord knows everything that there is to know about you. Does he put it in your face? How about if the Lord did that? How about if we could put it up there on the... Uh, I bet you Brother Brian would do it if we could. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that technology, man. They're moving towards chips, body cams. You're required to carry a body cam. <clears throat> but once you've done your part, the Lord has released you from your obligation. Let me finish with this. You need to know at least two things, that the rules are found in the Word of God, that the rules for forgiveness are for every Christian, and you need to be proactive. You need to uh, also be pure in your heart. 
Here's what Peter said in verses 21 through 22. Are you still with me? Then Peter came to him and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, the Pharisees believed that the most spiritual person was only obligated to forgive three times in a day. Peter doubled that and added one. <laughs> I, I'm, how about if I forgive a person seven times in a day? Does that make it okay, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. seven. 70 times 70, 490 times in a day. So why would Jesus say 400? Because if you can count up the 490 times and you're forgiven, you never forgave the first time. When you forgive, it's complete, it's unconditional, it's without strings attached. I heard a, a minister, the Bible talks about the spirit of Jezebel in the church and, and one of the seven last churches in Revelation and how the, the spirit of whoredom, how the leaders had, had sex with this woman and because of their sexual sin, it compromised them. It, it rendered the pastor, uh, when the pastor is in sexual sin, it impacts his preaching. It, it impacts the way he can minister. And even just, uh, especially the pastor, uh, Achan was not the leader in, 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 the, in the army of Israel, uh, but Joshua was. But one sin in the church that we know about, we don't deal with it, the Bible, it can, it can affect the entire church. But what used to be said about the, um, the spirit of Jezebel in the church is that when that is true, when the, when the pastor or leaders are involved with women in church, pastors got babies by women in the church or girlfriends within the church, that whenever they choose to, they can shake his pants in his face. <laughs> yeah, li not literally have his pants, but <laughs> he's under their control because at any time, he could be exposed. He could be exposed. And so what the Lord says, he says that when it comes to forgiveness, again, sometimes certain sins will disqualify you. Paul says, I buffet my body so that when I seek to get my reward, that the Lord doesn't make me a castaway, that I'm not disqualified. That doesn't mean you're unsaved. That simply may mean that you can't minister in the same way that you formerly did. Okay? The Lord said, if the salt has lost its flavor, what is it good for but to be tried underfoot? Sometimes you're... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb. Amen. And... The first thing that the devil did when he was captured with involved in a fatal, a fatal attraction, the first thing the devil, the devil did to Samson was pull his gouged his eyes out. The very thing that kept him from fulfilling the will of God for his life. And so when you understand about your own sinfulness, what the Lord exposed in Peter was that when you when you keep score, that's not pure forgiveness. That you need, to forgive, you need to forgive others out of a pure heart. 
Now, here's how you do it. Let me finish with this. Here's how you do it. The first thing you need to do is refuse to submit to your emotions. That's what happens. You start feeling some kind of way about it, and then your emotions. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? When your emotions are in charge, you're going to act, you're going to act the fool. And you're not going to be acting as a forgiving person. You need to also, if you're holding grudges, and if the devil, you may not have a Jezebel out in the audience that can dangle pants, but the devil can dangle memories. Whenever the devil wants to interfere with your marriage or your relationship, he'll bring to your remembrance something that God has given you victory over. Repent. Somebody say repent. <laughs> Rely on the Holy Spirit to fix it. You can't do this. But you have the Holy Spirit. Let me finish with this one. Stand with me. When you get a chance, read the last part of that chapter, verse 23 through 30, 35. Jesus said, you evil and wicked servant, I forgave you of a debt that you could never repay. And he said, release upon him the tormentors. He was taken to the very dungeon that he had assigned to those who were begging for the same forgiveness that he readily received. What happens when you refuse to forgive, the Lord releases onto your life tormentors. You won't be able to sleep at night. You'll find yourself prematurely aging. I don't care how much Lady Clairol you use. That's probably real old. You done tried every weight loss program known to man. But you're eating more than you ever ate. Could it be that God has released the tormentors? There are relationships that you could have with people who are there in need of those two words. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Forgive me. If you would simply release them, God would open up a door for relationship healing. God would take away the pain. The wound may never move. The scar of the wound may stay. But pain does not have to torment you. You don't have to repeat in your marriage what happened in your parents' marriage. You don't have to feel instant rage when men say certain things and it reminds you of something that you need to forgive and allow the Lord to heal you. Father, we thank you and we bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.